Sitting in a box undigified Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi Mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day Mixtape Phonograph and dual cassette Before you could get everything on the internet But some things ain't made it there yet Mixtape Line in, line out if you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker, turn the volume to nine Here's an accidental slice of time Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part one of Holiday 3, where Alan and I will again be curating side A of a mixtape featuring another round of holiday songs just in time for the season. That's right. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Yes. Can't believe it's here already, but that's what you're supposed to say, right? Uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're going to be politically correct about that's, it. That's kind of the line. Um, can't, no, I mean, I, when people say, I can't believe it's that time oh, already. Oh, I thought you meant that. No, no, no. I was, no. I mean, I, I genuinely want to wish everybody, yes. any faith or no faith, happy holidays. But Absolutely. No, I just meant that seems to be the thing that you're supposed to say. Just like when you come back from, you know, a vacation. Oh, man, that was too short. Or, well, you know. I tell you what, though, the older we get, the the faster it goes. It does. It's it does. Just, I, my parents I, told me that would happen. Yeah, mine, mine did too. I never believed them, but just as my own sons don't believe me. But but it's I don't know. It just flew by this this year. I don't yeah. don't know where the autumn went. So well, hopefully the winter goes uh, just as quickly. But it seems to go <laughs> twice as slow. It's it, well, it's February. February and March is just. It's a cesspool. It just never ends. It's It's that time of year, folks, where we in Northeast Ohio will start complaining about the weather every time you hear us. (laughs) Apologies. Normally, we're (laughs) summer, so I guess they don't hear a lot. uh, Uh, Right, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'll complain any chance I get uh, about the weather. Anyway, uh, we're back here again at the holidays, and, um, you know, it's it's good to be. This is, I guess, officially the last episode of Season 3. It is. We made it to the end, yes. Um, Won't be back again until Valentine's Day and... Actually, it feels good to take a rest. We, yep, we yep. put out put out a lot of material this season. Yeah, so. and we and we uh, doubled our listenership, which is great. A lot of new listeners out there. Picked up a new theme song along the way. Absolutely. Um, thanks to Wally Pleasant. So, yeah, things are rolling, and, and we're having a good time. Well, my criteria again was pretty simple. Um, any winter holiday song is eligible. Um, also, and, I, and we described this uh, uh, probably the last two times. Uh, we've avoided overtly spiritual songs. Um, just, you know, we're just keeping it secular. Right. You know, we talked about how Christmas is both a religious and secular holiday these days. And we're just, you know, for the sake of just, most of these are just kind of fun oh, yeah. holiday songs. Definitely. So, yeah, yeah uh, some of them are, are somewhat reverent, but most of them are just fun. Yeah. I, well, I don't think, did we go irreverent this time? I'm no, not, I meant reverent. I mean, like, oh, not rev- spiritual, rev- not spiritual, but reverent. Okay. There's a difference. No, gotcha. No, yeah, I thought, I yeah. misheard. I thought you said irreverent. No, I well, I, I, I think we do have a couple of those. Did At I, least you picked a few. Yeah. I, well, I picked a big one. <laughs> you picked a big one. So, <laughs> yeah, there is one. some irreverent stuff on Yes, here. that is true. But we'll just call it all fun. Okay. Well, well you're up. Well, my, my uh, you know, my, my, songs fall under the same umbrella as yours so there's no need to further explain 
I'm just going to throw in my first selection for this mixtape, and it is Jingle Jangle by the Penguins. Christmas time once again Everyone's heart is full of cheer Christmas brings a lot of joy Christmas here once again Hear the church bells ring Watch the tinkling white snow Hear the people talk and sing Christmas here once again Jingle Jangle Penguins, uh, you may not know the name, or our listeners may not know who they are, but you certainly have heard them. Uh, on tiny Los Angeles-based label Dutone, the doo-wop group The Penguins, they, they held a recording session in September of 1954 to record the street-corner doo-wop song Hey Senorita and a romantic ballad titled Earth Angel. And when the record was released, it was Hey Senorita that was given all the airplay initially, um, but, uh, you know, that single, it's, it seemed to have legs. It, it slowly climbed the charts. However, sometime in October of that year, DJs began flipping the 45 over, and Earth Angel also started a slow crawl up the charts. And by mid-November, Earth Angel suddenly took off on the West Coast, reaching number one in L.A. To everyone's surprise, it was also climbing high on the charts in New York City, Philadelphia, Cleveland, and Nashville. As soon as Earth Angel started climbing higher, the whitewashed cover version soon followed. The best known of these white artist covers was by the crew cuts. As was the case in those days, the white cover version outsold the original. Uh, um, was the original the one featured in Back to the Future? Well, that was, yeah, what, what they were performing was a cover of the original. Okay, yeah. I didn't know if they actually recorded a different version or if they just lip-synced to the original. Oh, no, no, okay. no, they, they recorded uh, their own version of it, but it was certainly... But the arrangement was the same was as the, the original. It was the same as the original, okay. yeah. Yeah, the crew cuts, if you, we'll put it on the, the, the alternate... Uh, the mentioned songs, yeah. Yeah, the mentioned, I'm still calling it the alternates. The, the, uh, <laughs> the mentioned songs playlist, uh, the crew cuts, it's painful to hear. Um but, as was the case in those days, the white cover version outsold the original, and the Penguins, though, they made a very respectable showing. Uh, the Crew Cuts, they peaked at number three on the pop charts, but the Penguins weren't far behind. They actually reached number eight, and more importantly, the Penguins reached number one on the Rhythm and Blues charts. Now, Earth Angel was a monster crossover hit, and it went a long way towards introducing black music to white teenage audiences. The successful climb of Earth Angel led the doo-wop quartet to Mercury Records, where they promptly slid into rock and roll obscurity, which was often the case for the black doo-wop groups. But before they did, they cut a holiday ballad titled A Christmas Prayer, backed with the Latin-tinged, sax-driven rocker Jingle Jangle. And has often been the case, it was the B-side that emerged as the holiday classic, uh, with its irresistible beat and just overwhelming uh, the somewhat innocuous lyrics. 
Heath record execs just they don't have a clue, do they? They, they, How many they, times they, have they, they don't. It wrong? Yeah, that's just been a recurring theme for three years on our. Because it's not like they put on, uh, the, the strongest song on A and then they think like the second strong, strongest song on B. Usually you put like you know some deep track, some throwaway track, something on the B side. You kind of just fill some space. And so that's we've right. mentioned many times on this podcast throughout the rock era where the B side did better yeah. than the A side. Well, Earth Angel did it, and so too did Jingle Jangle. Uh, both both of their both of the songs that they were remembered for were B-sides. It's kind of, especially Earth Angel. I mean, that, that song has had, it's, it's never gone away. In, you know, Back to the Future, I think. Back to the Future, to, isn't that what they sang? Uh, Three Men and a Baby, didn't yeah. they sing that Earth as well? Yep. Yeah, same thing. So it, it, it recurs in pop culture quite frequently. Yeah, oh, all the time. So, yeah, Jingle Jangle, um, it, it became the, the big uh, holiday classic. It's still obscure today. I don't know that a lot of people know Jingle Jangle. Um, I, this is... The, First time I heard it when you we were preparing really? when you introduced me to your list and uh, and when I immediately I immediately thought man this is incredible this is great how have I not heard this why is this not getting lots of airplay like some of the other songs that I think last uh, last year you talked about Marshmallow World and right. you know how that was more of a deep track on the Phil Spector Christmas uh, record and all of a sudden in the last few years thanks to Target and other commercials it's become a mainstay like every hour on holiday uh, radio. And I can't believe this one isn't. It's just this. This is just waiting to be rediscovered. It, it really is. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll we'll do our small part in making that happen. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it. it uh, you know, every Christmas party needs some good dance music, and Jingle Jangle with its Latin rhythms um, for 1955. It, it was it 55. Did I get that right? 55. Yeah. For 1955, this was uh, this was you know a, a grooving song to, to get on the dance floor too. So if you are interested, um, Jingle Jangle is available on many holiday compilations actually, but you'll have to buy the best of the Penguins, the Mercury Years, specifically if you want both sides of that 1955 holiday single. So yeah, just thought I'd start with some doo-wop. Yeah, and that would be a good one to start the mixtape once we decide to, I mean, I don't I want to get ahead of ourselves, but oh. that feels like a really good starting song. I, yeah, I, I could see that, yeah. absolutely. All right. Well, um, I guess, you know, we don't predetermine the order. We share our lists, but we don't necessarily share the order. So it's not like I'm just copying off Alan here, but I have an, I have another early rock and roll song. So, we're, you know, yeah, we're slightly out of the Gen X zone, but these are songs that, that Gen Xers know that, that even millennials and, and Gen Z, have, I'm sure, have heard these songs. I, I mean, think so. Not, well, at least mine. Yeah. <laughs> not <yeah>. yours. <laughs> no. And I'm choosing Jingle Bell Rock by Bobby Helms, which came out. Uh, what couple years after um, Alan's last pick, 1957. Pick up your feet 
It's one of those early rock and roll classics that continues to receive heavy airplay over the holidays. In fact, if you were to give a, a survey to a millennial or to a Gen Xer and to ask and ask them to name any song from the '50s that they could, most of them might say "Jingle Bell Rock." It, it may be the most popular, like these days, for younger people. The most, po- I don't know. You have "Hound Dog" from Elvis. Yeah. Um, a whole lot of shit going on. Great balls of fire. I don't know. Are those? Well, you have you have the pioneers, absolutely. Right. But um, Johnny B. Good. But, yeah. but 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 even some of those classics, I would venture to guess, like maybe the millennials aren't as familiar with. And Possibly. this may be one of the most recognizable Possibly. early rock songs. Yeah, this or or rocking around the Christmas tree. Yes, Brenda, yes. Brenda Lee. Right. Um, yeah, that would be the the other. Um, yeah, I, you make a good point. Because it gets airplay every year. It does. And we've talked about that. It's the only time where you can play spiritual music and oldies and jazz uh, mm-hmm. on mainstream radio and get away with it. The, uh, the song sold well in 1957, but it found higher chart success as time went on. Now, we talked about this either, I don't remember if it was holiday one or two, but Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas Is You didn't hit number one until like 2009 or oh, something was, like yeah, that. Yeah, it was like 20 years later. And we discussed, you know, why is that? And um, it's, it's got to be because of streaming. Of course, they redo the, the charts. Are so, I sound like an old fogey when I say this, but I can no longer really have much faith in Billboard, Mm-mm. right? Because you used to have to have a single and you had a physical song that you were presenting one song at a time for the most part. And this is what you ask radio stations to play. It's what you sold. It's what you featured in the record stores. Well, you know, Drake had had the, what was it, the top, oh. like, nine on Billboard just because he released the album and people listened to the whole album, and so his streams were up. Right. Well, Taylor Swift just broke that record. I don't know what the number is, but she now has, like, the top 14 slots on Billboard. So it's a little bit different now, the way they determine these things. So my guess is... You know, when Mariah Carey came out with the with the CD originally, the CD single or the album, and it got some airplay, but not the kind of streaming numbers that you're going to get when people make their holiday, you know, mixes and playlists. And that goes for airplay as well. Um, when we were growing up, there wasn't 24-hour Christmas music, no. not only on, on several stations on your FM or AM dial, but satellite radio as well. So a lot of these songs now, all of a sudden, are getting their highest billboard position because of the way that we count these things so yeah. it's really strange but um so it, the song reached billboard the top 10 on billboard for the first time in 2019 okay wow um it breaks the record or broke the record unless it's been broken since um for the longest time from release to top 10 60 years from its release <laughs> man to the top 10 on billboard the next year so 2020 it went to number three <laughs> so maybe eventually bobby helms will get to number one on billboard um, but like I said, it's got to be because of the way we, we count these things now. Um, the song has been covered, of course, many times over. I think the most notable and most recognizable cover of this uh, is probably the Hall & Oates version from 1983. That yeah. still gets a lot of airplay. In fact, this morning uh, I got in my car and my wife had been driving and she's already turned on the Christmas music. I, I still, for the most part, hold to the after Thanksgiving rule. <laughs> I had to break that a little bit to prepare for this episode. But she um, she was listening to that station and Hall & Oates' uh, Jingle Bell Rock was on. Um, you know, it's it's just a poppy 80s version of the song. It's, yeah. it, you know, it's still in the early rock and roll mode. It's not like they Holland Oates eyes did or anything. Right, no. It's, it's just a fun cover. Yeah, it, it's pretty pretty, uh, pretty much the same. Yeah. So. All right, that was my first choice. All right, well, I, it's no secret to those that have listened to us in the past that I am the, the, the Jewish co-host of 
uh, Gen X mixtapes, so I had to get my tribe on here. And this year, I actually this is a this is a record. I actually brought four Hanukkah songs just because I couldn't decide. So, but all of them were songs that I've contemplated using really for the past two years, and they just never made the cut. So, starting off for uh, this mixtape, the first Hanukkah song. This is Christmas time for the Jews. Mm. This okay. is one of the greatest <laughs> Robert Smigel, uh, TV Funhouse, SNL oh, yeah. productions ever. It is. It's ingenious. On Christmas Eve, the Gentiles gather round the Christmas tree. They stay at home and party with their Goyesha family. They disappear one day each year and pass the eggnog round. But it's all right, because that's the night. The Jews control the town. You have John Lovitz as Hanukkah Harry. You have Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song. And then you have the TV Funhouse Christmas Time for the Jews claymation video. I, those three, I mean, they're among Saturday Night Live's best remember contributions to Jewish holiday pop culture. And in truth, they were basically the only contribution to Jewish holiday pop culture over a 20-year span. For today's mixtape, I, I just I had to go with the latter. I had to give some love to Darlene Love because... I yeah, love, the fact I, that they I got love her. Darlene Love. So. See, those are the details that make anything great, right? Yeah, they could have gotten any singer to emulate the girl groups of the of the '60s to pull this off, but they actually went out and got Darlene Love. Yeah, that's incredible. It was not easy though. When I was looking into this, there they there was a lot going on with with this entire um, short comedy sketch, the the song, the claymation video. Uh, to quote TV Funhouse creator and former Saturday Night Live writer Robert Smigel. You grow up Jewish, and you can't help it. It's a big part of your life, being the person who is not celebrating Christmas. And he's not wrong. Um, In fact, that's going to be a recurring theme with the Hanukkah songs that I present this year. That is why Smigel's Christmas time for the Jews means so much. You know, born on the December 17th, 2005 episode of SNL, and inspired by a love of claymation Christmas specials and Phil Spector's Wall of Sound, and the desire to merge both with Jewish and pop culture references that swing from clever to delightfully absurd, this late-night gem has become something Jews can excitedly call their own. And, and the song is spot on in its timeline of Christmas Day events, from imbibing Manischewitz wine in the early evening, eating Chinese for dinner, and then a night out at the movies. Now, King Kong, when you listen to this, if you don't remember the, the time that this was released or if you know, we have younger audience members listening today. King Kong was not randomly chosen, but rather Peter Jackson's King Kong was the number one film in the nation. Oh, it's a great movie, by the way. It is, yeah. And it it had just been released just two weeks before the the comedy sketch premiered. So that's why it was the the chosen title. With references ranging from Barbara Streisand to The Daily Show, and, you know, the sketch 
even came complete with a Seinfeld nativ- nativity scene. Right. Right? Madonna, Madonna's, <laughs> Madonna's in there boat, somewhere. Yeah, she's in there. Um, the song sounds incredibly like the songs on A Christmas Gift for You from Phil Spector in terms of production, which is pretty damn amazing, given that Phil Spector used 100 musicians layering instruments on top of each other to create that echo, that, that walled now sound Now we have effect. computers. <laughs> yeah, it's much easier. <laughs> now, now we just hit a button. Yeah, well, Smigel, with musical director Stephen Gold, they pulled it off with just four musicians and a handful of samples, uh, primarily featuring bells and strings. And then there is Darlene Love. And there's no approximating Darlene Love's sound. I am, but while the fates demanded that they could lock the legendary singer in, here's the problem. Producers had to rely on word of mouth to actually find her. She was just MIA. I, no one knew how to get in touch. Um, then they had to navigate scheduling issues to make it happen. I mean, it, it, it almost did not happen, but happened it did. And in the end, the result is, uh, in, in Yiddish, we would say, Gibaldic or amazing. So there you go, Christmas yeah, Time Yeah, check for that the out Jews. on YouTube if you're not familiar with the sketch. Christmas Time for the Jews, SNL. Um, yeah, in fact, do yourself a favor and get Peacock Network if you don't already have it, and just go back and watch a lot of those early SNLs. Oh, yeah. oh I mean, there are some anemic years in there, but there are uh, yeah. more better years than, than poor years, so awesome. Have you watched SNL? I, I have not watched SNL in I, probably f- at least five, maybe even ten years. We watch it every single Sunday morning up to this year, and then this year we were busy, and so we've, well, not, I shouldn't say recorded, because... <laughs> We haven't started right. uh, streaming um, uh, this year yet, so we probably over the holidays we'll watch them. But it's 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 probably over fifty percent of the cast is new this year, and mm. so that's why I just haven't been as excited. I wanted to hear the reviews, but you know, I'll still watch it. Yeah, I, it's not that I, I, I don't know what what drove me away. I, it's not that I, you know, thumbed my nose at it. I, I just for whatever reason I just stopped watching and I mean I think they've done a nice job getting getting younger actors and um, allowing some of the humor and, and the methods like a lot, lot more video um, oh really yeah I want to say it's like maybe 60 40 video and, and live sketch now hmm. and because uh, they know that when they make these little videos you know the commercials or in this you know the case you just described now in the internet age um, that just goes out there on TikTok and, and YouTube and, and go viral and that just draws people into SNL true so yeah. I think they really like having those 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 digital type um, you know offerings to, to advertise their product yeah that makes sense all right so my next one let's get out of the the 50s and out of the early 60s and uh, jump up to 1996 and Jimmy Buffett has not one but two Christmas albums that I know of and this was his first one uh, Christmas Island which I think is in my opinion for just my tastes and my tastes are somewhat eclectic but the top one of the top 10 Christmas records at least for me definitely top 20 but probably top 10 yeah you probably don't have such a list. Uh, no, but I, but, but I am a parrot head, so I, I'm, I'm right there on board with you. Like I said, uh, I talked about you know, how they songs should be either reverent or they, they should be fun. Um, this one falls squarely into the, the fun column. Um, the holiday number takes a look at what Santa does for a well-deserved break after his work on Christmas Eve. And of course, what would Jimmy Buffett have Santa do but go to the Caribbean with sunshine, palm trees, lots of rum, uh, and just kind of recreate the direct opposite of his North Pole roots. Yes. And, uh, and that's what he does. So it's Santa's vacation. Um, 
you know, not every track on the, on the first Christmas album works. I mean, there are a few that are just straight covers. And, you know, if you know Buffett, you know that he's, his strength isn't singing. No. Right? <laughs> no. Um, his strength is, is in yes. his songwriting mm-hmm. and, of course, the brand. And so if you take a song like, you know, uh, you, did I say the name, by the way? The name of the song, <laughs> I always do this, Ho, 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 and a Bottle of Rum. That's typical Buffett title, right? To take, you know, this this pirate theme and combine it with Santa Claus. Um, of course, there's nothing about pirates, I don't think, in the, in the song. But no. but it's just that idea. We all know Yo-Ho-Ho and a bottle of rum. And so this is Ho-Ho and a bottle of rum. That, that's typical Jimmy Buffett. That's that's on brand. But when you just, and I can't think off the top of my head, but just pick a song like, like Jingle Bells, which I know that's not a good example because he sings that one in a Jamaican accent. <laughs> somewhat problematic but there are some songs in there he just tries to do a straight ballad cover you know like a crooner would and Mm -hmm. it just doesn't work for him yeah but a lot of fun stuff on there yeah no singing is not his strength I really what I I give props to Buffett for the arrangements yeah yeah I mean the musical arrangements what, what he can do just the steel drum when it comes in I mean it's it is it is the Caribbean. Yeah. I mean, you, you get lost in his music if you surrender to yeah. it. You can so. tell he has a, a really good ear for, for, for different cultural um, influences. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. able to incorporate that. I'm sure he has a good team, too. He usually has a very solid backing band and, and do a great job. So, yeah, I figure why not pick up the pace a little bit on this one. And it's just a fun, I guess you could say, fun holiday drinking song. There you go. <laughs> yeah, well, pass the eggnog. Yes. All right. <laughs> Which is terribly fattening, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, but so good. Yeah, it is good. So good. But I'm just afraid to start because I think I'll just keep drinking. I, yeah. Well, my son, my son loves eggnog, but he can he can chug it at his age. Well, and it depends too on what you're spiking yes, the, I, the product with. But he, he just drinks it straight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, mine does too. Joel loves just downing. At the least stuff. around me, I'm, I'm sure. Up at school, it's probably not. Wow. Yeah. School is you know what happens <laughs> at school stays at school. So, <laughs> all right. My my third song. 
I thought it's time. I've, I've not included any in the past two years. I wanted to bring some blues into our, our mixtape. And I decided to go with Charles Brown. Hmm. Uh, this one is titled Santa's Blues. Cool Christmas Blues. I mean, it, it has long been recognized as the perennial top contender when it comes to Yuletide Blues, and, and for good reasons. Uh, the legendary bluesman salutes the season in his own inimitable style, featuring smooth, low-key delivery and solid arrangements. Charles Brown is, is best known, really, for two Christmas standards. His 1947 seminal recording of Merry Christmas Baby, the original recording of that, that song. And, and by the way, that's the one Springsteen does live, a, a yeah. cover of that live for the very special Christmas exactly. album. Exactly, yep. yeah. And then you had the definitive 1960 single, which he wrote and performed, Please Come Home for Christmas. Which, which was later covered by, by the Eagles. Among others, yeah. Yeah, yeah but the yeah. Eagles is the one that most people, most people think that's an Eagles original. They do, yeah, yeah they do. Um, these are two of my favorite holiday singles, actually, and, and Brown was crooning them both every December you know, long before most of us were born. But nobody has ever done them better, even though every established musician has tried, <laughs> you know. Both songs were masterfully recorded, re-recorded, actually, updated, and featured on Cool Christmas Blues. Conventional Wisdom says I, I should have picked one of the big two, but I decided to go with a lesser-known track from the album. And and again, Santa's Blues, it, it's an up-tempo number. Charles Brown, I'll tell you what, if you, if you do not know the name, if you're not a blues fan, Charles Brown could do it all. I mean, his dulcet baritone voice could wash over the listener when he slowed things down. His vocal flexibility allowed him to tenderly croon with jazzy nuance on one song and then exude loneliness and despair and plaintive vocal translation on the next. And when he would go up-tempo, he could do a straightforward, understated call-out to his woman in blues speak, um, as he does on Santa's Blues, or, or he could induce hand-clapping gospel fervor with soulful accents and raucous show-stopping delight. I mean, the man could do it all. Santa's Blues is pure West Coast swing, actually, that finds Brown lamenting his missing lover and imploring Santa to make him happy on Christmas Day. His piano run is concise. It's executed with flair. He absolutely shines on his piano solo with kind of a, a nimble eloquence, really. And, and Dan and Karen's guitar work is equally as impressive as it sets the proper mood with sprightly licks. Um, 
the instrumental cohesion of this blues quintet. I mean, it's just at optimal level on the track. I I, I love it. And no, I it's thought, great. That's the first time I'd heard this song really? as well. Yeah, yeah I you've just introduced the, me to a lot this time. Good. Yeah, I I, I just thought, yeah, let's get some blues on. So yeah, nice. There you go. Well, going from blues, here's a contrast. It's probably the whitest music. Is Irish music the whitest music? What would be the whitest music? The whitest. Well, classical, I suppose. But well, uh, yeah. Of but. course, we're just having fun with this, folks. Just having fun with this. So <laughs> please don't write at us. We're not being political. Um, yeah, the I mean, I, yeah, I mean, they, they, I don't know that you get more pale than, than yeah. the Celtic. So, <laughs> well, I went for my next one: uh, "Christmas in Killarney." Uh, by Bing Crosby from his 1951 offering, Merry Christmas. The holly green, the ivy green, the prettiest picture you've ever seen is Christmas in Killarney with all of the folks at home. It's nice to know to kiss your bow while cuddling under the mistletoe And Santa Claus, you know, of course, is one of the boys from home. The door is always open, the neighbors pay a call. And Father John, before he's gone, will bless the house and all. How grand it feels to click your heels and join in the fun of the jigs and reels. I'm handing you no blarney, the likes you've never known. is Christmas in Killarney with all of the folks at home. Christmas in Killarney is wonderful to see. Listen to my story and I'll take you back with me. The holly green, the ivy green, the prettiest picture you've ever seen. It's Christmas in Killarney with all of the folks at home. This is kind of a forgotten holiday classic. Uh, I, I had a copy of uh, Big Crosby compilation Christmas. Um, it was actually on cassette back in the 80s. And I think I just got it because of White Christmas. You know, I just wanted to have a copy of that song. And there's all sorts of great stuff on it um, with the Andrew sisters or the Lennon sisters. I'm trying to think which he would have been with. Andrews. Andrews. Who yeah. are the, where are the Lennon sisters? Where do they fit in? Or did I just make that up? I, I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, know. I don't know. I don't know who the Lennon sisters. I mean, you have the McGuire sisters, the Andrews. Yeah. There were a lot I of sisters. I knew there were sisters there. But, but um, the Andrews sisters, yeah. Um, and then he, um, well, the, a song on there that later became famous because of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is Melikamiki Naka or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, that was on there as well. So I, I, I'd already been familiar with that song. And so and this is another one that, that I liked as a kid. Um, it's, it's, it was recorded by Dennis Day and Percy Faith in, in 1950. So Bing isn't the original. But like we already mentioned, you know, with, um, with Earth Angel, I mean, this was a time when people didn't wait very long to do covers. Um, you might have two or three covers of the same song come out within a year or so. Um, and so, you know, Bing Crosby took a stab at it. Who else did? Uh, Bobby Vinton, Ann Murray, Neil Diamond um, would be several among others that would cover it in later years. I haven't heard any of those versions. Neil Diamond did Christmas in Killarney? <laughs> yeah. Why We're to put that on the mention song. Why so. do I not want to hear that? <laughs> <laughs> the Irish-American song would later be featured in the 1981 Rankin-Bass holiday special, the Leprechaun's Christmas Gold. I watched a lot of Rankin Bass. I don't recall that one. I've never heard of that title. That must have aired one year, and they didn't repeat it. I, it's new to me. Yeah. I've, I've never heard of it. The Leprechaun's Christmas Gold. Go. So, uh, at least you don't remember it either. It's not just no. Not just well, me. but you're mixing two different holiday images there. Well, that's, but so did Disney with Nightmare Before Christmas. Well, well yeah, but that, but that was a deliberate, <laughs> right, you know, but, that had a storyline, I suppose. So, 
Okay. Well, think about it. I mean, they did Rudolph, and then Rudolph's Chinese New Year, and then uh, what's the one with the Heatmeister? Is that um, Santa Claus is coming to town? Yeah. And then there was uh, a year without a Santa Claus, mm-hmm. and apparently they just kept going for as much as they could with the Leprechaun's Christmas Gold. Anyway, I, I suppose we could have done a holiday mixtape uh, subgenre uh, called ethnic holiday music, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you have here the, like it's your traditional, almost stereotypical Irish song. Um, you have Dominic the Donkey, um, which neither of us picked, but it's kind of this Italian stereotypical Italian <sighs> folk song. Uh, I bet you could go through all the ethnicities on the planet and come up with some semi-stereotypical Christmas song for that, but I went with the Irish this time. Nothing wrong with that. Yep, and Bing. I mean, again, what says Gen X more than Bing Crosby? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's Christmas, all right? All the rules go out the window. They do, yes. Uh, Nothing wrong with swinging on a star, Dave. Nothing wrong. (laughs) All right, Uh, so... Here's the big one. All right, you you want irreverent, I'm giving it to you this year. Ah. Okay. Um, you have a giant Santa skull, Harry Sharon in leather pants with a devil's tail, and a three-way solo. I mean, it must be a Spinal Tap Christmas. I am so glad you picked this, and I am so disappointed that in three years, I never thought to put this on. Really? Yes. I, I looked at it every year, and I just uh, just pulled back. I used to be scared and, of the song as a kid when I heard it. Well, I, I, understandably. <laughs> um, what's funny about this joyous holiday number, though, is that Fictional band Spinal Tap was not too far off from the hair bands they parodied. I mean, you know, hair bands... Well, in some cases, they were better musically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, those hair bands hoped to be taken seriously, and here's Spinal Tap besting them as they're making fun of them. So let's name the single, shall we? The yep. song is titled Christmas with the Devil. History of Spinal Tap is it's it's a bit difficult. There are two accounts. You have one real and the other fictional. So let's begin by keeping it real. Uh, the band Spinal Tap first appeared in a video aired as part of a 1979 sketch comedy special called The TV Show. Uh, it was a project spearheaded by Rob Reiner and Michael McKeon. The video was for the song Rock and Roll Nightmare in a sequence that was intended as a spoof of the NBC late night musical variety series The Midnight Special. And participating in the video and playing the music were Michael McKeon 
and Christopher Guest, Harry Scherer, Loudon Wainwright III. You had Russ Crunkle, uh, Russ Kunkel as well. The segment was introduced by Reiner in characters Wolfman Jack. Okay. Well, that comedy sketch, it eventually led to the creation of This Is Spinal Tap, a film that traced a disastrous tour undertaken by an aging British metal band. Reiner hosted the film in the character of filmmaker Marty DeBerge, and, and while guests McKeon and Cher took on character names for the project and further developed their Spinal Tap personas, respectively, guest was, was guitarist Nigel Tuftle. Uh, McKeon was vocalist David St. Hubbins, and Cher was bassist Derek Smalls. And added to the group were David Caff as keyboard player Viv Savage and R.J. Parnell as drummer Mick Shrimpton. Is this the first mockumentary? Yeah. It was the first mockumentary ever made. Yeah. Has to be. Yep. And and the quintent, they played their own instruments throughout the film. So within the context of the band's fictional history, though, Spinal Tap began allegedly as a skiffle band (laughs) called the Thamesmen in the early 1960s before changing their name to Spinal Tap. Um, in the late 60s, Spinal Tap was a psychedelic pop band, though they also performed progressive rock, jazz fusion, funk, and reggae in the <laughs> years that followed. It was not until the band entered the realm of heavy metal that they found fortune and fame. And of note, Spinal Tap's fictional history includes a succession of drummers, all of whom are said to have died in strange circumstances, uh, one in a bizarre gardening accident, and another who choked on vomit, but possibly not his own vomit. And <laughs> spontaneous combustion. Yeah, and two from spontaneous human combustion. Right. Um, additionally, it is claimed that police described one of the deaths as a mystery best left unsolved. So, <laughs> Someone uh, else's. I forgot it that line. Uh, it's, it's a brilliant movie. It's been years since I've seen it, too. I really want to go back and watch it now. Um, when listening to both the movie soundtrack and the 1992 reunion album, Break Like the Wind, two things become readily apparent. Christopher Guest, Michael McKeon, and Harry Scherer are fans of hard rock and early heavy metal. And they're also musically talented individuals. Oh, yeah. You know, anyone can write short segments of rock songs to be played sporadically during a film. It's not so easy to write full-length rock songs that can keep you interested in the joke. The reason that most comedic songs last only one or two minutes is that you can only keep something funny going for so long before it just becomes annoying and obnoxious. That uh, is not um, the case with Spinal Tap. Now, there are no grandiose prog rock epics, but most Spinal Tap tracks do run a decent three to four minutes in length. Christmas with the Devil, uh, allegedly, not allegedly, it was, I suppose, written by Nigel Tufnell, and like many of his songs, it was allegedly inspired by a dream that he had. When Spinal Tap reunited in 1992 for a televised reunion concert, NBC TV refused to allow the band to perform the track, saying that its lyrics promoted evil, which was kind of funny given that the band performed the exact same song on NBC's Saturday Night Live in 1984. But, you know, I digress. When told they could not perform the song for televised audiences, Derek assured the network that they were not advocating Satanism. Rather, he insisted that man's relationship with the supreme evil one is a very private affair. And he insisted that the song is just a depiction, imagining what's happening with Satan this time of year. And assisting Derek, Nigel, you know, stepped up to the plate and told the network, you know, to think about it from the devil's point of view. That's all we're saying. So (laughs) early on, the band attempted to add a verse in rap. I did not know this. They actually attempted to add a verse in rap to widen this song's appeal. Uh, Things did not work out as planned with that. (laughs) And it was released as a holiday single in 1984. And there was also a seven-inch picture disc that apparently showed the devil wearing a Santa hat 
on one side and the band on the other. But now, finally, uh, years later, the song can be found on the CD version of This is Spinal Tap, the, the soundtrack. It was uh, added as a CD bonus track when the soundtrack was re-released in Y2K. So That's the um, version I have. Yep. So there you go, folks. And I uh, think I have This is Spinal Tap on Blu-ray over there, too. Oh. That's one I never bought. You ever, you ever watch the uh, director's commentary? Because they do it in character. Oh, do they really? Yeah, it's brilliant. Oh, man. And, and of course, Christopher Guest would go on to make many mockumentaries. Oh, oh yeah. Um, Waiting for Guffman and Best of Show, two of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Michael McKeon joined him for... Well, that's... Yeah, he did. The, yeah. That whole log did. Um, but what's interesting, in Mighty Wind is kind of like a spinal tap, but for folk artists. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about a, a PBS station bringing back these folk artists from the 60s. And so the, there is a folk band with the exact same actors, yeah. same members, playing the same instruments as they do in Spinal Tap. I, I love it. So yeah. It's brilliant. All right, well, let's keep the humor going, I guess. Uh, you talk about uh, one joke, a one-joke pony or one-trick pony here. It's this song, but I still love it. Uh, it's by Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings from 2015 from their album It's a Holiday Soul Party. Uh, we've talked about uh, Sharon Jones. I know, I'm pretty sure we featured a Christmas song. Oh, I, I did. A Hanukkah eight, song. Eight Crazy Nights. Yes, yeah. a Hanukkah song. Um, and we've also, I think, talked about it maybe in another capacity. I don't know. I, th- I just feel like we've talked about her a lot. Oh, yeah, we have. Yeah. But I went with a song called Big Bulb. A one, a one, two, three, and... lot of fun with it i think that's what makes it work right it, it makes it work and of course lyrics on face value they're simply talking about somebody who hangs christmas lights in the window and somebody outside likes to see those christmas lights in that person's window because baby you got those big bulbs um the, the, the modern soul band came out of brooklyn new york um boy they sound like they're straight out of the 60s if it wasn't for the clean production value i would you know i would just think it was a soul group that oh, yeah. somehow I missed. Um, but they uh, started recording um, in 2002, uh, seven uh, studio albums. In fact, uh, Sharon Jones was 40 at the time. It's very unusual to break mm-hmm. into the music industry for the first time at that age, which means we're SOL. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, she passed away from pancreatic cancer in 2016. So um, we at least have these seven uh, studio albums to uh, to remember her by because she was a talent. Oh, I was a huge fan. 100 Days, 100 Nights, that's my favorite of the albums, and it's just, it is unbelievable. Yeah, so, yeah. so um, while we are still a family-friendly podcast, um, you know, occasionally, occasionally I pick songs that yeah, might be on the edge. So before you decide to play um, our Spotify playlist of this mixtape when it comes out, 
uh, for your family when when great grandma's there. <laughs> just just know there are going to be a couple of songs on there that you know might 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 be close to the edge, depending on where you stand on these things. Wow, we've outdone ourselves. <laughs> you just gave a disclaimer for a Christmas playlist. <laughs> I did. I, I did. love it. Well, because not only big bulbs, uh, which which is pretty benign, but uh, is it your next one coming up? Maybe from um, Mr. Uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker. Oh, that's that's further down. <laughs> so that one <laughs> that, that's, definitely. That's next week. Oh, but that's next that's week. That's next okay. week, yeah. All right, good, um, good. But yeah, that one. Mm, um, <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> so, all right. Well, no, my next one actually is uh, by the purple one. It is by Prince, and the name of the song is Another Lonely Christmas. This one is huge downer. Um, we'd like to give you a Christmas present right now. Prince told the crowd at the Civic Center in St. Paul, Minneapolis on December 26, 1984. He said, this is a new song. We've never played it before, but from us to you. And he counted the revolution in. He heard Bobby Z's snare hit, then struck one of those back to front chords that made everything sound like it was crumpling, devastated into a heap on the floor. Uh, the first few lines were howled. Last night I spent another lonely Christmas. Darling, darling, you should have been there. And it was, as he promised, the first time that he'd ever played another lonely Christmas live. It was also the last time. Uh, another lonely Christmas is emotionally brutal. I, and that opening chorus gives way to, to gauzier verses. Uh, Prince reminiscing about and to a lover who's nowhere to be seen. Uh, he says, remember the time we swam naked in your father's pool? Boy, he was upset that night, but... Boy, was that ever cool. That's a Prince line of ever. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, hints of disaster start to creep in, line by line. Uh, she hated, past tense, the number nine. Her sister was out on the ice earlier, alone. He sings about good heaven and the northern star. And then in that third verse, 
he just he just pulls the rug out from under you. The song erupts into a clash of major chords. Baby, you promised me you'd never leave. Then you died on the 25th day of December. Uh, he's, he's singing to a ghost, essentially. Your father said it was pneumonia. Your mother said it was stress. But the doctor said you were dead. I say it's senseless. And then the song tells us that for seven years uh, since, he's, he's drunk himself into a stupor on daiquiris every Christmas. It, it, it is a downer. It, well, it to me, it's reminiscent is. of a lot of those 50s car wreck songs. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can like see Last that. Kiss. Yeah, Last Kiss, Teen Angel, yeah. even, even uh, Leader of the Pack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, all yeah. Of them, yeah. Um, you know, that's, uh, this is Prince, okay, direct quote. That song is a work of fiction. That's what Prince said of uh, Another Lonely Christmas in a very strangely formatted 1997 interview. And that was all he ever said about it. He never brought the song up again. Uh, it's like it just, you know, just disappeared from his from his catalog. However, a former collaborator believes that Another Lonely Christmas reflected more of Prince than the singer was willing to admit. Uh, according to Susan Rogers, who was Prince's sound engineer from 1983 to 1987, Prince was a very truthful writer, and he wasn't afraid to say when he was lonely. This was a guy who had money, and he had employees, but all the people who he called friends were people he gave a paycheck to. And according to Rogers, the theme of the song, Spending Christmas Alone, seemed to accurately kind of reflect Prince's emotional state at that moment. It, it's little surprise, really, that you know, approaching the apex of his fame and his powers during the sessions for what would go on to be his best-selling album, Purple Rain, he ended up writing a song so utterly broken up and, and lonesome. This is the guy who wrote the lyrics for Nothing Compares to You in an hour and then remarked that they came out like a sneeze. You know, uh, the, the track was recorded by Prince alone. He, he was doing his one-man band thing uh, in February of that year, and it would end up as the B-side to "I Would Die for You." But it never found its way into his rotation. Uh, listening back to all six minutes of it now, which I, I, I've listened to it a few times prepping for today's episode, hearing Prince tell a story about death and devastation and lingering midwinter agony over careening guitars and sinuous keys. It's difficult to see why, really. I mean, maybe, maybe there was just too much otherworldly material to get through on the Purple Rain tour already. I don't know. Maybe I because it wasn't Christmas time. Well, there is that too. <laughs> well, no, it was actually December when he when he first performed. No, no, when he performed it. But I mean, it's not oh. going to make his regular rotation unless oh, he's yeah. touring at Christmas. No, time. agreed. But but he never released it as a single. That was yeah. that was the part that confused. A whole I don't know. Lot it's kind of long for a single. Um, Sad holiday songs don't do very well. Uh, can we talk about shoes for mom or mother's shoes or whatever okay, that may be? Okay, but that's just that's just sappy. <laughs> True. <laughs> that is one thing no one has ever accused Prince of being is, <laughs> is sappy. Um, I'm sorry, I did Christmas. Yeah, we don't yeah. talk. We don't talk about Christmas we don't, shoes. We don't talk about that. I'm. I'm I'm, I apologize. Because for some reason, I fall for that sap. You know, most of it I can keep out of the way, but that, yeah, that one gets that, me. That, I did put well, kids in there and whatever. Anyway, <laughs> you know, put a kid in a song with a dead parent, and then it just go, it gets worse from there. Well, didn't you include the December's last year singing a John Denver song about... Daddy Don't Get Drunk this a, Christmas. You know, oh, yeah. A drunk it's, it's and a abuse. And, and, well, it's a little bit different. I digress. <laughs> so... Despite becoming a cult favorite among many Prince fanatics, Another Lonely Christmas was never included on a standard studio LP release. Uh, outside of his position as the B-side to I Would Die For You, the track appeared only in the 1993 compilation set to hits The B-Sides. And then again, 
finally, in 1997, it did make its way onto the, the remastered and expanded edition of Purple Rain. But it, it is a downer, without without question. You are absolutely right. But, man, I what he does, though, musically on that number. I mean, it's it's painful to listen to just the instrumentation yeah. is, is painful to listen to. It's, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to sequence. <laughs> it, it is, yeah. Well, it is. All right. My next one. Another one that I, I this I feel like this might have been an alternate when we did alternates um, hmm. for one season, one or two. I don't know. I just felt like I picked it at one point. This is um, a cover of Christmas Baby, Please Come Home uh, by U2. It's Christmas. Baby, please come home. There weren't a whole lot of Christmas uh, rock songs. There were some, you know, but not a whole lot of them. Um, and then in 1987, as a fundraiser for AIDS, uh, along with Keith Haring, who provided the, the cover art, um, I'm not sure what the organization was, um, but decided to release a, an album of, of Christmas songs by pop artists to raise money. And it was very, very successful. And I think it's what really kind of the impetus for now radio stations playing Christmas rock songs because it was very successful and the next thing you know there was a very special Christmas too I think the next year maybe two years after that and there was a part three and then there have been many since then but of course a lot of artists started recording Christmas albums which of course was was a big thing when the crooner era right but oh, yeah. I, I, I can't remember prior to this a lot of artists releasing a Christmas album you know Joel I'm thinking about Joel and Springsteen all the popular artists in the late 70s that you know Dylan Dylan didn't his much later um, just well, it wasn't a thing. Now, well, Billy Joel was never. I mean, he had "She's Right on Time," which you right. could argue is a Christmas song. I but a Christmas but, album, even. Yeah, you didn't I, see Christmas albums. No, that, it was not non-existent. And, I mean, and after this, all of a sudden, you started seeing artists just recording yeah, Christmas. Constant. Jimmy Buffett, Harry Connick Jr., yeah. uh, Mariah Carey. It just kind of became mm-hmm. a thing. Yeah. Maybe I'm off on that, but I just feel like that's that, that's the way it happened. Um, no, I think you're right. Okay. Well, this is a cover of, uh, we, you know, we have far, talked about Phil Spector uh, and his 1963 uh, A Christmas Gift for You. Um, and Darling Love's version of this is, you know, and that was rightfully so. That's the one we should have picked because that is the definitive classic, right? Um, but once in a while, and we talked about this, and if we ever have a covers episode, we talked about doing a covers episode next season. Next season, yeah. Um, there are covers and then there are covers, right? There are covers that people do and, you know, they don't change a lot. It's nice homage to the original, whatever. It's fine. But then there were covers out there where the band makes it so much their own um, that it just it becomes its own thing. And I, I do think this version is also a masterpiece in its own right. So I think the two can exist at the same time. Um, what's so great about this one is just, you know, you two, um, 
they don't change the fact that it's an early rock and roll song. They don't try to U2-ize it, you know, and make it some real airy, atmospheric thing. But Bono, you know, who at one point wasn't even allowed to be the lead singer because everyone thought his voice was so bad. Um, and then Rolling Stone named him the the best vocalist of nineteen, you know, of all time in 1987. I remember that. They pronounced him being the greatest lead singer. Like, How do you go from not even making your little band in, in Ireland because you couldn't sing? But um, I think it's because he emotes so well, and he uses his, again, we've talked about this, we, he uses his voice as an instrument. He's not a crooner, he's not a classically good singer, but the passion that comes out and the way that he phrases things, it's just, it's Bono, it's you 2 and that's what makes them who they are, and he does that with this song. Um, so I'm going to say, you know, musically, maybe not that much different. Of course, it's not the Wallace sound, it's Edge and Larry and Adam, but he, his voice really makes it something different and also, I think, is respectful to the original. Um, it was recorded during a sound check on the Joshua Tree Tour. Um, it was kind of a love letter also to early American rock and roll, which is what inspired the next album, which was Rattle and Hum, mm-hmm. which was partly new tracks and partly tracks recorded live from the Joshua Tree Tour. And if you've seen that movie, you know how much they were excited to come to America and explore the roots of blues and, and, um, and soul music, and they even go and visit uh, Graceland, because uh, Larry has to sit on the bike. Do you remember that scene? He wasn't allowed to, and then they give right. him special permission to sit on the on the king's bike. But um, I just love the fact that they, and this is the only time I can think of, well, they did do a version of Unchained Melody, but I, I, even though they were very inspired by early rock and roll, they haven't done a lot of early rock and roll covers. And so I think it's cool for that reason as well. Did I ever tell you about, because um, I, you, Last summer, I did the the Blues Highway. Yeah, we we started in in Memphis, did Beale Street and the like. I sat at Larry's drum set. Really? Yeah, at Sun Studios. Uh huh. He, you two came in. They did a set. They recorded a set at uh, the studio, and Larry just left his drum set there. Wow. And when you go, you're allowed to sit and play on anything there. I mean, Jerry Lee Lewis's piano with the the burnt. Uh, hold that yeah. he made with a cigarette on the key. Wow. You can sit there and play with it. You can hold the microphone Elvis held. That's awesome. It was one of the coolest things I've ever done. But yeah, I have a picture of me sitting at Larry's drum set at Sun Studios. So. And of course, Larry is the whole reason you two exist because in school when he was 14 years old, he put up a uh, basically a one ad to form a band. And, uh, and three people... Um, answered the call. And it's the same four that have been in the band since the very beginning, which is something you cannot say for most bands. No. I mean, obviously the Beatles, um, they broke up, but you know, even the Stones have changed members in the lineup. And, and the Beatles changed members in the lineup. Well, lineup. before, before they became yeah, big. But several, yeah, but the fact Beatles that you're, no, so that's a good point. Yeah, from the, from the year inception, you're right. From their inception, they didn't, you two did not change, and yeah. the Beatles did. So um, that's something to be said. I guess there was one show, one show of every single show they've ever played where there was a time when Adam Clayton, their bassist, had a substance abuse problem, and he didn't make it to a show. Hmm. And the rest of the band was obviously very upset. It never happened again. Never happened again. He got clean, and uh, and all's good. But uh, yeah, that's just admirable to think that a band can stay together that long. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of unheard of, frankly. Just taking my little road trip with with a couple of friends this summer up to Boston, and about day four, you just really start getting on each other's nerves, <laughs> and we all like each other. So yeah. I can imagine being in a band and having that kind of stress and. And workload for many years. Yeah, I mean, you gotta love what you do, and you gotta love each other. Yep, a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. all right, here's my number six, uh, my last song for side A. Um, this one uh, is by Hamilton, Tony Winner, and Snowpiercer star David Diggs, and he teamed. Well, there's something a little more popular than Snowpiercer. 
I said Hamilton. Oh, did you say Hamilton? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I missed it. I said Hamilton. I missed Hamilton, it. Hamilton, Tony Winner, and Snow Gotcha. Peterson. Okay. Of course I named Hamilton. <laughs> How can you miss Hamilton? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I should read my note. I should be able to listen and read That's it. That's okay. I, I forgive you. Uh, <laughs> Diggs, he teamed up with the Disney Channel in 2020 to release my next pick. And it is a very catchy puppy for Hanukkah. Uh, yeah. Come on. You know what I want to. What you want? What you want? What you want? What you want? I want a puppy for Hanukkah. Want a puppy? 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 And I'ma get just what I wanted. Yep. Don't get it. Don't get it. Don't get it. Don't get it. I'ma get a puppy for Hanukkah. Get a puppy. Get a puppy. Get a puppy. Get a puppy. Some kids write lists for their Christmas gifts and they send them all off to their Santas. But I don't trip off a list for my gift. I'ma get it 'cause I got eight chances. That's right, eight nights festival of lights. Go hard for a week with a plus one. So y'all keep stressing, be good, learn lessons. But Hanukkah is the best fun, and you can laugh if you want to. But I'ma get a puppy for Hanukkah. So I'm pretty sure that it's just socks, but you never know. Miracles happen. I tap in and start to rip the paper. Oh please, let it be the puppy that I wanted. I don't wanna wait to. Oh, yep, that's just socks. I'ma get what I wanted. What you want? 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 I'ma get a puppy for Hanukkah. Written and produced by him and his clipping collaborators, William uh, Hudson and, and Jonathan Snipes. The rap tells the story of, uh, you guessed it, a, a young boy who's desperately hoping for a puppy as a present uh, for one of the eight nights. Diggs, who was raised by a Jewish mother and black father, said in a statement that he was honored when Disney Channel approached him to come up with a fresh Hanukkah tune, and he embraced the opportunity to share his love of music and a little piece of his culture. In 2015, Diggs told Broadway.com that the cultures never seemed separate for him. He said he had a lot of mixed friends, and when he was young, he identified as being Jewish, but he also embraced his dad's side, too. Puppy is, is it's kind of a guilty pleasure for me. I love this song. I also, I'm ready to get a new puppy. I am, this is the longest I've ever gone without a dog, and frankly, it's killing me. Um, well, it's so innocent, it, it, the song. It, yeah, it, it is. It's just, it's, it's wholesome and cute. It's, he he just, manages to kind of grab the voice of, of a child. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong in my interpretation that he, he's not, it's not autobiographical no, necessarily. No, 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 but, no. But he does a great job of what a child. Okay, I can only vouch for one day, right? For Christmas, you right, know, yeah. Christmas Eve dinner, trying to wait till the next morning. You know that one gift that you really, really want, and you hope you're getting it. But uh, but he goes over the course of eight nights. Which I wanted to ask you: Did your parents do that? Did they did they tease out the oh, gift yeah, you yeah. you wanted, knew you were getting, but you had to wait every single oh, day yeah. until the eighth day to get that? Yeah, gift? Yeah, you never got it on the first day. Yeah, okay. yeah. And they, they I were, guess it would kind of suck if you did. Yeah, they they were gonna <laughs> yeah and parents unload all the crap first. You know? and and in fairness, when you you're young, none of it is crap, and then the older you get, more and more of it becomes just that. But um, no, yeah, they tease it out all the time. I mean, it's it's kind of brutal. Do you remember actually. a Star Wars toy you got for Hanukkah? 
Oh, I got a lot of them. Yeah. What was your favorite one? My favorite was the Millennium Falcon. Oh, yeah. 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 I got was that, that, that had to be an eight, a day eight present. Yeah. yeah. That was day eight. Yeah. Um, actually, I got that uh, day eight. I also got the Death Star. Ooh, uh, nice. Both. Nice. Um, didn't get much in the first seven because those two were... Um, like a we little, would laugh at it now a to little look at the price tag, but you know, back then it was it was big money. So single action figure, yeah, right, <laughs> right. So those are um, like two bucks back then. Can you imagine that? They're like two dollars. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, two ninety nine maybe. Anyway, I'm sorry. No, it's no, it's, it, it's yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, pup, puppy. It, it, as I was saying, it's it's kind of a genuine bop. I mean, it feels thoroughly authentic. Diggs name checks latkes. He raps over klezmer clarinet notes. He laments the not as exciting gifts you sometimes get over the eight nights because yeah, sometimes you're going to get socks. And he even recites the first Hanukkah blessing is in Hebrew during one of the verses. And he adds that he learned it phonetic, which uh, is relatable. We all learn it phonetic. Um, it's very much for kids. This is a song for, for kids. But it's also the most fun that you'll have singing about Hanukkah without doing a Sandler impression and name-checking Jewish celebrities. So, um, I don't know. I, I came across this one. Spotify threw it at me. Yeah. And again, they're all, I love their algorithm. And, man, I was hooked. I love this song. David Diggs, who, who portrayed uh, Lafayette in the first half of Hamilton and, and Jefferson. Jefferson in the second yeah. half, to me, may be the most charismatic individual I've ever seen on screen. Um, there's just something about him that is so charismatic. He just jumps out at you. Uh, of course, I, I haven't seen him live, but watching the Disney Hamilton. Right. Um, and, and I've seen him in a few other things as well. But he just exudes, like, I want to be around this guy. So there's just this positive energy and that, that smile that he has. And just, yeah. yeah, I hope to see him in a lot of things in the future. I'm, I'm hoping, yeah. I, you're right, he's just... Oh man, there's just a vibe. He, he just kind of glows, you know, just radiates. Yep. It's fantastic. All right. So, last pick. Yeah. Uh, last pick here. And um, this one sounds like it would be a downer, uh, like your Prince song, but maybe not so much. Um, this is Lonely Christmas Eve by Ben Foltz. I'm not so bad. I just hate to see a good time had by everyone. On this lonely Christmas Eve I hear them up and down And up and down the street They're making noise Noise, noise, noise How I hate their happy noise There's only one thing I hate more Come to think of it Get it. A lot of people may not know this song. Uh, maybe even some Ben Folds fans may not know this song because it wasn't released on any Ben Folds um, record. Right. He doesn't have, well, in fact, Ben Folds is, is Jewish, at least half Jewish. Um, he actually contributed this song to Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. That was the Jim Carrey vehicle back in 2000, which, you know, 
Mixed mixed reviews on that. <laughs> At best, yeah. Mixed reviews. Um, better than the cat in the hat. I'll give it that much. See, I like the cat in the really? hat better. You, you're going to go Mike Myers? I don't know. Mike me? Myers one-liners, and that got me. I thought, I, yeah, but it was so mean-spirited. It was. I, mean, I still liked it. <laughs> and, and Jim Carrey's performance of The Grinch was fine. Um, it was the storyline around it. Right, the, yeah. The production was beautiful and everything, but it just was too, I don't know, it didn't quite work. Got yeah. close. I, I was actually disappointed. I thought Ron Howard would actually put out something... A little bit better than he did. He tried. I'm he, not saying he, he, did. he didn't yeah. phone it in, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, although there's great inside jokes. You mentioned Spinal Tap. Do you remember when, when Jim Carrey as the Grinch, he's kind of going back and forth talking to himself, and he's thinking about making, I don't know if he's, at one point he's in playing Ron Howard, um, and or no, he's playing Rob Reiner. Yeah, yeah. From Spinal Tap, because he's got that same yeah, Navy the, hat or yeah. Marines hat that, that Rob Reiner wears. Anyway, little things like that. You know, any, t- any ode to Spinal Tap that someone throws in there. I guess the kids call them Easter eggs they these do. days, right? They do. Anyway, um, <laughs> this song is a little jazzy, a little tune, no surprise. Um, uh, ben Folds, especially Ben Folds 5, um, had a lot of jazz influence. In fact, Ben Folds 5 only had three members, and um, one of those members did not play guitar. Uh, it was drums, uh, Ben Folds on, on uh, piano, and Robert Sledge on bass. Yep. Now, a lot of the times the bass, depending on what effects they used and how he played it, sounded very guitar-like. Um, but yeah, there was no guitar. And so this jazzy little tune um, is written from the Grinch's point of view. Um, the song is about as bendfold as you can get, especially during the middle eight. You know, there are some artists that just Decembrists are like this when Colin Malloy writes. There, I, there must be some chord combinations, some minor chord combinations in there that just they're comfortable with because you can hear a song and just say, oh, yeah, that's. Even the December song that they wrote for Hamilton that didn't actually make Ben Franklin didn't make the musical. But, um, you can tell that's that's Colin Malloy. Same with Ben Folds. He just has a signature style. I'm not. It, it's not overly repetitive. It's not like he's just plagiarizing himself. But it's just a, a little signature feel, right? And uh, you totally get that in the middle eight. Um, in fact, I almost I had to look into this. I almost thought it was a Ben Folds five recording because that there's this really kind of fuzzy bass at the end of the song in the second half that it sounds like Robert Sledge playing. It's not, but it just no. it, it sounds more Ben Folds 5 than, than yeah. Ben Folds. Absolutely. Um, lyrically, the song is pretty straightforward, right? N- nothing Shakespeare here. Um, but it may be the only song that mentions cream of wheat, <laughs> <laughs> which is what the Grinch, uh, he imagined the Grinch eating while everybody else is um, festive. So yeah, it's, it's pretty simple. It's just, you know, from the Grinch's perspective of how he's having another lonely uh, Christmas Eve. Yeah. Cream of wheat. Did you? My mom, that's what she made for breakfast for my, me every my morning. My wife likes cream of wheat. And I, she, my wife likes, oh, she likes all, of the, she'll eat grits. I mean, she likes anything wet, I guess, for, for breakfast. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> I, I, I find it all disgusting. I said, I want eggs and yeah. bacon is what I well, want. Well, it wasn't eggs and bacon in my house. No, no. It was an alter, it, we alternated cream of wheat and um, oatmeal. From the packets. Yeah. Now... Actually, I don't mind instant oatmeal necessarily, but it has to be the flavored stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, this is flavored. But the cream of wheat, I will say, my mom put a ton of cinnamon and and a big pat of butter on it. And Mm -hmm. so if you you just kind of stirred it up, it it wasn't as bad as it sounds. Like, I don't remember hating it. Yeah. Well, instant oatmeal, I can do like the apple and cinnamon. I'll I'll put some peanut butter in there when I Mm, mix it. And it's tolerable, but I'm just, I'm not a... I'm not even a cereal guy. I used to be a cereal guy. I mean, Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, I'd yeah. sit there with the whole box, and it'd be gone by nine a.m. But I am um, now. I like I like my full breakfast now. Well, so. I soon graduated to, to dry cereals, but um, I wasn't allowed to have anything with coloring in them. Those were the days where what the hell did that leave you? 
Well, you know, like Honey Nut Cheerios was probably my uh, okay. favorite. Okay, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, Frosted Flakes, things like that. I just couldn't okay. have Lucky Charms or, or Fruit Loops. Um, anything chocolatey like Fruity Pebbles or Cookie Crisp. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I feel to be so, fair... I to, feel so sad for your but childhood. To be fair, Cookie Crisp... <laughs> Cookie crisp is not good. It's never been good. Yeah, and it, yeah. and and, and, what, and when did, what point does a cereal become a candy? As an adult, I say now, looking back. Well, yeah, right. you know, like my favorite cereal. I'm still a cereal holic, and 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 cinnamon toast. Cinnamon crunch toast crunch. Oh yeah, is just my jam. Yeah, cinnamon toast crunch. A very close second would be apple jacks for me. But of course, there's so much sugar in that. Oh yeah, <laughs> I try to avoid it as much I, as I yeah, can. Yeah, like I said, eggs and bacon. So. Anyway, back to Ben Folds. So yeah, uh, Ben Folds, <laughs> he, he had another song um, I could have picked, um, but it would have been really irreverent and I didn't want to go there too much about Santa, you know, getting stuck in the chimney, uh, his take on, on that. But um, yeah, no, I just, it, this isn't a masterpiece song. It's just a fun little song uh, about the Grinch. Yeah. All right. You know, we've never included in three years though, is You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Might have to do that next year. I thought we did. No, never included it. No, we, Ravencroft was featured in our Disney episode right. with the uh, well, not, not, Horseman. Not uh, that was the Halloween episode. The okay, Horseman. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, we've never included Ravencroft's version of "You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch." I feel like I don't know, like we're going to hell for having never included "You're a Mean One, Mr. <laughs> Grinch." I don't know. So um, next year we'll do see. You, do you think like Gen Xers? Okay, so kids will never understand how we only got to watch these once a year. Unless you, I mean, if you, if you had a VCR, and some people have VCRs before others, you know, around 1980 to 83 or whatever. But for the most part, like, you had one shot at it, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And so raising my kids, when I would get excited because Rudolph would be on, you know, Channel 8, mm-hmm. and the kids, is no big deal because they, could, they can watch anytime they want. Yeah. And so it was never really special to them. Well, until, well, all the Peanuts stuff, those... You know, moved on. They still show free, yeah, free airings but, of but the we, penis. We have it on DVD special. now, so right? The yeah, physical media, right? But um, yeah, no, it's and if you miss it, you missed it. Like I remember, what was it? Um, might have been Rudolph one year. I mean, you know, all the Jewish kids, we watched the Christmas specials yeah. too, and we even watched the Peanuts Christmas episode, and you know, had no idea that Linus was doing his best to convert us we didn't know <laughs> but, but i um i remember one year when i was very young we were out shopping you know holiday shopping and we came back and i had missed my chance to watch R- rudolph because it had, you know been over and done while we were at the mall i was oh, i was devastated yeah it was you know you, you got one chance so. R- which are the big three and to me the big three is rudolph grinch and peanuts is is the best for me it's the grinch really i love the grinch i gotta go with rudolph yeah, I I love I love the clay animation. I love mm-hmm. you know, the stop animation, but I am well the bumble. Yeah, I was I was attracted to anything that had a monster in it. Oh yeah. So the fact that it was a Christmas special, but it was also scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just did it for me. The Grinch was never scary as much to me, but the, no. the bumble was man. I just I just loved the story of the Grinch. I yeah. mean, he was just so nasty. You know, it was it was Dickens for the young set. So I um. And like I'm sure we've talked about before, Christmas and holiday special are time for redemption arcs, which is why Scrooge and Grinch and, and even Rudolph to an extent, if you consider the Bumble, uh, is a time for redemption. Um, it's just a thing. Of course, everybody forgets that. Yeah, we remembered the. <laughs> that they were, we don't remember the reformed person. No. We do remember the, the grumpy. Um, Always. Awful person. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> All right, well, anything else you want to add for this week? Uh, well, um, 
want to give a, a shout out. It's going to be one of the last times we can do it this season to Jay Callahan Painting. She is our sponsor and does amazing work. I don't know that you're going to want to ask her to paint your house uh, now that the weather has changed, but she can certainly paint the inside. Um, give her uh, a look. She's She can be found on Facebook and she does an incredible job. Um, what about her Patreon? We should probably... Yeah, I mean, it's out there. We yeah, haven't done anything to we promote haven't done anything. it. So. Uh, that's going to be next season. I think we'll we'll try and figure that out. We also have a TikTok that... Well, I've done nothing done with. Done nothing with, yeah. yeah I'm, so. I'm, I'm not a very good promoter. That's just not my thing. Yeah. It's, that's why it's we, need, we need a promoter, but we would need money to, to get a promoter, yes, and we, we can't would. get money without promotion, so there's the... There's even, the I'm, even I'm slacking. I mean, thank, thank goodness for Zabe, because yeah, I'm yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, he puts far more work into our stuff than we do Zabe, who was a guest on our show um, this year, and we were a guest on his show, um, which is the... Uh, who will save Generation X podcast game show um, monitors our Facebook more than we do. <laughs> like, I, I, I'll post things now when I remember that it exists. I, I used to be so deliberate with it, and now I just life caught up with me. I just haven't had the time. Well, so. what I do appreciate is the fact that there were a couple times when people were posting things that were completely inappropriate. Um, we have based on our rules, so we of course have to have rules. And uh, he alerted us to those, mm-hmm. and and so he has moderate moderator status, so he can just just take mix, those off. Yep, we just, just gave him the keys. We're like, right. here you go, it's all yours. Yeah, uh, much needed. Actually, there there were a few. We have a, we have a few very devoted listeners and and followers on on the Facebook uh, group. That yeah, I mean, there were a few of them that would notify us. But, That's awesome. But yeah, Zay, man, I'm. If you're listening, Zabe, thank you. Yes, thank you. You're doing our job for us. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, that is it for side A. Well, that's all for this week uh, and almost this season. Hot fun, cool punk. Even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next week. But for now, press pause, lift that needle, and hit eject, and we will see you on the flip side. Sitting in a box undigified Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi Mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day Mixtape Phonograph and dual cassette Before you could get everything on the internet But some things ain't made it there yet Mixtape Line in, line out If you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker Turn the volume to nine Here's an accidental slice of time Like the mixtape 
They're musty and dusty And sometimes when we want to start Everything just falls apart Driving real late, Delta 88 45 on a side, then I'm through the state No iPod shuffle, you know your fate Mixtape Compiled by a friend, amateur DJing With no concern for what format's playing It was more about what the songs were saying Mixtape Got some Merle Haggard an old George Jones, someone yelling in the background I thought I heard a phone But it's nice when you're all alone To have a mixtape Line in, line out If you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker Turn the volume to nine There's an accidental slice of time 